<laughs> Can you remember when you were that age? It's kind of fun. All right, buckle your seatbelts. Uh, we uh, won't go like we did last week a little bit over, but they've got lots of material going on today. I'm going to uh, start with this title that uh, uh, Paul is continuing to work on a particular theme, and this week he's going to go and do some surgery to help us understand what he's doing with the Corinthians. And I would suggest again that what he's doing with the Corinthians, he, God with Spirit wants to do with us. And so this message is called The Remedy of Selfishness, Putting Love Over Personal Liberties. So let me start going back by thinking about what mess of a church Corinth is. And so people are really being influenced by the world, influenced by the culture. But beyond the culture, there's something even more at work deeper inside, and it's the flesh. And so to help people shift from being a foolish uh, person who's going to be independent from God, he's going to help them learn how to grow in Christ, to be dependent and abide in this wonderful new life that we call the Christian life, which has so many, so many good things to it, but it's not easy to understand all the moving parts. And there's a lot of moving parts in this one. I'm going to start with a quote by Ayn, Ayn Rand, who's a, a famous, famous person. You may know her as a, a, an atheist, a Russian-born author. Uh, she was a movie director for a while. And, uh, but she said, the question is not who's going to let me, but who's going to stop me. And as, a, as an independent bird, she is going to follow her heart's desire in such a way. And that desire really touches us. Uh, but she understood something about the Christian life or something more about, she understood what the Christian says about human nature. And so if you, you either hate her or you don't like her, but there's so many things that she's, she's got a hold of some questions and I think those questions need to be addressed. But people, uh, they quickly categorize her because she's an atheist and she's an independent thinker. But uh, she understood one thing about Christianity. Here's what she said. That Christianity was the first school of thought that proclaimed the supreme sacredness of the individual. The first duty of a Christian is the salvation of his own soul. The duty comes from above any duty that he may owe to his brothers. And this is the basic statement of true individualism. And she took that thing about salvation of your soul and she, she amplified it and she went off into her objectivist philosophy that uh, she, would, she would argue back and forth with different people. But she understood that the Christian had something inside the human heart that needed salvation and that was the freedom to be themselves. And so she picked up on that theme and ran with it. But she didn't agree with a lot of Christians. And she hated C.S. Lewis. Thought he was just, I can't use the words that she said. But uh, she was not very kind to him. But C.S. Lewis was also influenced by another author, a Scottish uh, storyteller named George MacDonald. And George MacDonald was also a... a an author, a storyteller, and he asks this question. I think it's a wonderful question. Let me pose it to you. If George MacDonald were to take Ayn Rand's, Ayn Rand's uh, thesis, uh, 
that we are to be independent people. Here's the, here's the question. What if God followed her advice? And so he asks it this way. Could God make a mere man who did not need to trust him to be self-sufficient, to be so rational that he could organize and engineer his world in such a way that he didn't need to trust God at all? And if he could, MacDonald asks, would that creature be greater because he had that freedom? Which would be the better creature? The one he made more dependent or the creature he allowed to be completely independent? It's an interesting question. But the slave in his heart, the fleshly man, the natural man, along with others and along with Satan, would immediately say, well, the freest would be the one who got farthest away from God. And that's the answer that many of us know. We don't want God involved in our lives, many people say. And so, so for them, that creature desires another kind of freedom, another kind of liberty, that the freedom which, then that which, the freedom that God proposes. That creature wants rebellion and uh, is based on a false notion that what God has for us uh, isn't as good as what I can create for myself. The truth of God is, to him, is, uh, is something that he doesn't really care about. And so to be cut off and be separated from Christ is this desire that he's created even though he has this desire, there's something inside of him that he has to suppress. And that's this uh, time-bound uh, inner sense that I have needs and desires whose liberty to get those met can only be found in a relationship with his creator. So we've got these two, two options. And so the freedom that God would have you enjoy and me enjoy there's, there's going to be an attention. The fact that there are things that you want and the way you want to do things and the things that God wants and the way that God wants you to do things and experience things. The flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit sets its desires against the flesh. And so all creatures, whether you're atheist or believer, are still in that tension about how you're going to live your life and find your freedom. The, free, the freedom that God calls for us is a freedom from the slavery of self. The freedom from that independent rebellion. That, that uh, does not rejoice in my own ability to figure it out or to manipulate the world. But it's an ability to rest on the rock of Christ, our Savior. And God regards that, this, this fleshly man regards his dominion over the earth that God gave him over the earth as key. And at least he can say, I did it my way. There's a song that I'm not going to sing. But the idea that there's, there's something about the human nature that says, leave me alone. Don't get close. I don't want to be involved. And I'm not going to do what you say because there's inside there's a fist inside every cell and fiber of our body that says, I want my way. Well, God says to you, fool, you don't even know what you're talking about. I made those desires. I know your needs. And I know the way that you don't know. 
You don't, you don't know anything about your impulses, your desires, and your longings. Um, your gifts, your purpose, and your love comes, uh, finds a satisfaction in me. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He's also, he says it all the way through the New Testament. He's picking up on the theme of Christ where it says the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's a liberty and a liberty from the self and that tension that says there's a real, there's a real peace, there's a real joy when you realize that the Spirit comes to give you that kind of freedom. Well, the Corinthians were struggling with this because they had that same worldly, self-centered, natural spirit that says, I'm going to tell God what we want, and there's still a dominion in the church that's creating tension. Now that spirit, they don't, they don't realize it doesn't come from just the modern, postmodern thinking. It doesn't come from going through the history. It goes way back to an impulse that we all know about. It's about a temptation. And that temptation was a temptation to be independent of God. And so when God said to Eve, don't touch that, if you do, he didn't explain it in the verse, this is paraphrased, you'll become a slave. I don't want you to become a slave, I want you to be free. But the, the temptation, as we think about temptations as, as, as Christians, we tend to think of temptations as behavioral or actions, but there's something deeper going on in the sense that when, when, when Eve saw that it was good, that they could become knowledgeable of good and evil, they could be like God, equal to God. Now, that spirit is everywhere and nowhere. And sometimes you see it blatantly when you have in missions, you run across philosophies and religions that says, how do you become God or a God? And you'll see this. I saw this all the time in, uh, in different areas in Buddhism. And if you go to those temples, you, you just get aware of the fact that there's, there's a, des a desire to become one with the universe. And to become one with the universe is to become like God of the universe. Um, and you lose yourself totally. There's nothing, there's no other self. And so it's to kill the self and nothing else remains. This week I heard a, a podcast of these young Mormons. They're excited, just as excited as Jackson was here last week. But, but the idea that these three Mormons uh, are excited about the Mormon religion. And if you don't know this, in the Mormon religion, they teach about the Heavenly Father and that we are supposed to be perfect like the Heavenly Father and we, we can become like the Heavenly Father, meaning you can become like Jesus and Jesus became a God because he kept the Father's will. And you can become a God like Jesus said you are God. And so the idea that you become like God, I was surprised to hear that they can become creators like God. And they can create planets like God. They create universes like God. They become like God, becoming independent, and they can rule. It's just a different thinking. But they were excited about having this ability to be a God. And they don't teach you that right off, but it's deeply underneath it. And so they, uh, the guy on the, on the left wanted to own the planet 
Jupiter, and they were talking about, well, would you have it with rings or without rings? You know, crazy. But not only in religion. In the secular world, among some hard um, punk rockers, and this guy's from uh, Stockholm. If you've been in the European scene, which you haven't been, I haven't been, this idea of, this music is good music. He's got a great voice if you're into hard rock. But he says this, and this is the song, You can be your own God. And find another way, son. Listen to your heart. Tomorrow has begun. And when you hear the responses to these songs, th- that really helped me. That lifted me up out of my depression. It helped me f- free myself from having to please people. And just, I'm going to be my own God. So I want to be free of God. You hear this. I want to be free of my own parents. I want to be free of, of others' control and, and these rules. And I, I want to be free of the world. I want to get off the grid. I want to be free of myself. Everybody's looking for freedom. And this idea that there's, there's a, something inside that moves us to a desire, the desire that either leads you to freedom or leads you to slavery. But the idea is we want an independence. It's a problem. A problem that the Bible addresses by saying, this is the way of fools. It seems right, it seems right, but the wise listen to advice, not this guy. There's a way which appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. And so pursuing freedom, I end up in slavery or in prison. Those who are pure in their eyes, they think they know what they're doing. They, they only see this certain aspect, yet they're not cleansed of their filth. They don't seem to address the sin of their lives. And that's all of us. We, we have our blind spots. And so Paul would write, well, what benefit? Go your own way. What benefit do you get from those things that you're now ashamed of, those things that result in death? Oh, Solomon, King Solomon said, I gave myself to every desire. I didn't hold back on anything. I wanted what I wanted, and I got what I wanted. And when he got what he wanted, it wasn't what he wanted. Vanity driving after wind. And he was confused because he thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. Then he followed his thinking. Paul would say it this way, for all have sinned and fall short of that glory. You go independent, you fall short. I changed it with a little liberty, but you know what I'm talking about. For all have sinned and fall short of the freedom that God wants. So you follow your own way and you lose your freedom. That's why when we start talking about the gospel, understand something, brothers and sisters. Understand that we're not out just to change the old man. And God's not just out to try to redeem and patch up the wounds and fix problems. Because God has a purpose and his purpose is to set you free to bring salvation to your soul, but to set you in a different light than you you would normally think about. Because what we understand is that there is a problem that we call sin. We don't talk about sin much these days. don't hear that. But there's a penalty, and that penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You know that verse. But we understand it this way. That God's promise in the gospel is to give us eternal life. And John 5, 24 says, if you come to Christ, there'll be no condemnation for those sins that you did. 
and that you'll be passed out of death into life, and therefore you'll have salvation, you'll go to heaven. We tend to think of that in terms of behavioral issues. That God will help you with your problems and get you out of your sin. But the problem that we don't see, that Paul saw, is it's not just the sin that's the problem. It's this independent self that's the problem. And therefore, the idea that God came to deal with your independent self, I'll do it my way, God. Show me your plan. If it fits into mine, I'll negotiate and I'll give you my commitment. And that's where a lot of people are. They're not in church today because they're doing what they want to do today. Instead of listening to the Spirit and joining the fellowship of those who are called by the Spirit and understanding how to grow together as a community of the kingdom, they said, no, no. And so the writer of Hebrews says, don't have that habit and don't just kind of neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more. Don't talk to me about God. I'm going to do it my way. And that's influencing the church. But to understand that Jesus Christ died to save us, not only from our suffering and our guilt, but primarily from ourselves. Now that's an interesting thought. Not from our injustices, but from being unjust. Not from being in righteousness, but from not being right. This is what George George MacDonald picked up to say, that he died that we might be freed. He died to himself that, we, that he might live to God. Likewise, if we do not die to ourselves, we cannot live to God. So he who does not live to God is dead. But he who does is alive. Therefore, Jesus would pick up on this theme and say to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way. You must Take up your cross and follow me. And today we have a crossless Christianity parading around the world because we want God to do what we want God to do. But those who do not die, uh, those who will not die, well, they die many times. They will die constantly. They, they need to die daily. To keep dying deeper and deeper, to let go of those things that we have hold of. But if you refuse to die, you will never be free. And that's the theme that Paul is trying to get at here in Corinthians. If you don't die to this self-centered independence, you will never have the freedom of the Spirit. So with that, you go into this passage. Because if you lose that capacity of seeing freedom as God does, you lose the capacity to see yourself as God does. And therefore, to live as an independent human is to live a life that is subhuman. You won't have the glory of a human with a free, dependent relationship with Christ. And so you forfeit that to say, I'm going to do it my way. And you become less of a man, less of a woman, less complete, less, less capacity to love. And this is the gospel truth. That God wants to set men free in Christ, you can have a new life. And this new life means you become a child of the Father and you live like the Father. So the question first and foremost is, you have to understand that salvation of your soul, like Ayn Rand would say, is to understand it's a freedom from myself and my independence so that I can return to God, so I can be free to be dependent in order to go back into the world to give myself myself 
freely. And that's what Paul was trying to say. He understood that command that Jesus said, love, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no man than this. If you're independent, you don't have that much love. If you're dependent on the Spirit, your spirit of freedom and love will increase. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Friends. Get close. Intimate. I'll show you. I'll tell you. I'll walk with you. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made... you got to be kidding. Everything I have learned from my father... I have made known to you. There's that dependency or interdependency. And you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you can go and bear fruit. And uh, so you see what Paul is getting at is what the Bible's trying to get the Corinthians to understand, what all Christian communities should understand. And summarized by Paul in this verse I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, the independent Paul, who has crossed purposes with God. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, dependence, in, who loved me, dependence, and gave himself for me. And because of this, because of Paul's understanding, he was the apostle of the heart set free. And because of Paul's understanding, he could say, I have my rights but I'm free to lay down my rights. I'm free because there's a higher calling than my rights. It's my love. And therefore, when Paul gets into this issue in chapter 8, 9, and 10, the issue is this, and I don't want you to get this, I don't, I don't want to spend time on this because it really is irrelevant to us at this level about eating meat sacrificed to idols. It was an issue back then, but not to us. Unless you translate it to say you shouldn't eat fast foods. Or you shouldn't eat unhealthy foods. Or what was it? I'm a vegan. I'm going to get something. And you want a vegan? Oh, it's okay if you're not a vegan. So we have these. But that's not really the issue. Because Paul is trying to get at something far deeper than this. And what's, what's deeper is, it's your attitude. Not just towards the things that you eat or the things that you do. It's your attitude towards how God has set you free to be other-centered. That's the issue. And so Paul is offering himself as an example to say, if my brother says uh, this food has been sacrificed to idols, can I eat it? He says, sure, because it doesn't make a difference. Food doesn't make a difference in terms of your relationship with God, so you're free to eat. But you don't, Paul says, you don't want to go to the temple service where they're sacrificing to that God and then eat that meat because that's, that's not permitted. But the idea that there are issues involved that are discrepancies or gray areas where Christians disagree all the time. Should you be cremated? Or should you be buried, entombed in a, as a normal funeral service? Well, that's, there's differences in there. And so different positions on the Bible, different positions on sin, those are clear cut from the scriptures. But then there are a lot of things that you have trouble with. But the issue isn't those things. The question is, what's your attitude towards those things and your attitude towards those people? So let me read to you what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, 
that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and all in the sea. And they all had these experiences and they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For that which they were drinking was from a spiritual rock which was followed them and the rock with Christ. There are many Christians who have exposure to Christian communities. But he goes on to say, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. There's something about what happened to these people. And Paul teaches the Corinthians. What's fascinating is he gets into this passage. You know, you know this passage. You've heard it a number of times. There's no temptation overtaken you that is not common to man. Well, put it in the context. What was that great temptation in the wilderness? What's he talking about to the Corinthians? But notice, Paul is going to the Old Testament to a Greek group who don't know anything about the Jewish history. So he's introducing and teaching a pattern that has been established from the Old Testament all the way through that they understood very well that these Corinthians didn't understand. What was the great temptation in the wilderness? Do you remember well, you know that God took them out of slavery and he's going to lead them to the promised land. And the promise was, I'm going to, I'm going to protect you. I'll open the way. I'll, I'll give you streams of, I'll provide, I'll provide. I'm going to be with you as the covenant-making God. I'm going to give you the promised land as I promised. And they said, well, we don't like this. And I would rather have those leaks and that, bred back in Egypt. And so their focus was not on the purposes of God, but they were focusing more on what they wanted. What's the great temptation here? It was the same thing. I want to be independent. I want you to do for me what I want you to do for me, God. And you're not doing a very good job. I mean, how many times do I have to eat this man over 40 years? Can't you get something else on the menu? There's something that took place in that wilderness, there was a temptation not to trust God. And they started to grumble. There's another man who uh, dealt with temptation. It was just the opposite. When Jesus went into the wilderness, led by the Spirit to overcome these things, he says uh, he resisted the temptation to satisfy his own desires. Jesus resisted the temptation to perform the miraculous to prove that he was the Son of God. He would assert his authority and Satan was promising, oh, I'll give you this recognition that you want. And Jesus says, no, no. He did not refuse the desires. He knew what he wanted. But what he wanted was to do the will of God. And Satan was giving him a strategy, another plan, an alternative route to accomplish those things independent of trusting God. And Jesus says, no, it is written. Jesus refused to be self-serving. Jesus was not an expedient man. He was an obedient man. And therefore, he would trust God because his delight was to do the will of God. His desire was to please the Father. Now, the Corinthians probably hadn't heard all that stuff. 
they thought, well, I'm going to do it my way. And here comes Jesus, and here comes Paul. And Paul says, I'm going to give you an example. That I lay down my life because I'm not living for my life. That I want to protect you from the political power structures and to keep you from getting this, this money issue in the church. I'm not going to take things from you because it's a temptation for you to set up class systems in the church. I don't want you to fall with that. I want you to be united in the spirit. And so Paul says, I'm not going to be a block. But the idea of living for yourself, Paul taught the Corinthians. Do you recognize that those people in the wilderness, he goes on to say, these things happened as an example for us, that we would not crave evil things that they craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. These people sat down to eat and drink and they stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, as 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. And they were all destroyed by the serpents. And so Paul was saying to the Corinthians, if you're living for yourself, you're going to start to grumble and murmur that the things that... If you're discontent and you're going to argue and debate with God, I don't like what you're doing. This is the problem in the wilderness. This is the problem of the independent man. And Paul said, I want you to understand that you're always going to be disappointed if you're living for yourself. Always. Because you're going to find somebody that's not going to meet your demands. You're going to find somebody that's not going to come through. And you're going to get irritated and agitated because you don't give what you want. We don't have spiritual temper tantrums. Paul was trying to say, there is a temptation. But I want you to know, and here's, real quickly, here's what the whole Bible is saying. Get this picture, church. Cain and Abel. Cain didn't get what he got. What happened? Murder. Lot's wife. Remember Lot? She had this desire to go back. She wanted the independence. She didn't yield. But you go on and on. Moses struck, struck the rock. He disobeyed Achan. And because of Achan's sin, a whole battle. They, they were destroyed because of one man's sin. King Nebuchadnezzar, he promoted himself in his pride. And the whole kingdom fell. He lost it. Samson and his sexual desires with foreign women undid him. David, who planned the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah. These were independent men. Jonah didn't want to give the, the, the Ninevites mercy. He wanted to have them suffer, and God didn't want them to suffer. He wanted them to repent and be forgiven. The prodigal son who spent his life in inheritance. The rich young ruler who loved money more than Christ. Peter attempted to direct the Lord away from the Jerusalem and the cross. And so Judas, who gave in to his own plan and betrayed Christ. Ananias and Sapphira, Demas, who loved the world. You see this idea of the independence in the church all the way through the Bible. All the way through. You also see the other side. Abraham was willing to sacrifice. Esther, who intervened on behalf of her people. Ruth, who would not leave her mother-in-law. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not yield to the demands of the king. Hosea and his unfaithful wife. I'm sure he wanted something else, but God gave him this privilege to be used. Ezra and Nehemiah put God's word first. Mary and Joseph, John the Baptist, he must decrease, I must decrease. The 12 disciples. You see the pattern all the way through. The widow who gave two mites. She was free to give. Those who seek first the kingdom of God. 
Mary, the sister of Lazarus, wasn't concerned about getting things ordered. She was sitting first at the feet of Christ, and she said, this is necessary. Martha, take a note. Barnabas, who became his Paul right-hand man. To live through the desires of another person, to be so free to give yourself. This was Paul's defense. I am free. I am really free to lay down my life Follow my example. Don't follow their example. And no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And that temptation is to be self-centered. To be self-centered. Corinthians, don't be self-centered. Because you won't be free if you're self-centered. If God is faithful to give you what you want, to lead you where he sees you are to be, he can endure all these temptations. But the great temptation in the wilderness is to make an idol for yourself and to make yourself a God. And Jesus said, I'm going to leave this because I don't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so he left his throne of glory. He became other-centered, and he was the most free. For the Corinthians, their question is, can I get my way? I want to do it my way. It created divisions in the church. Incest was... Tolerated, divorce, lawsuits, challenging spiritual authority, eating meat offered to idols, and I've got my rights. And Paul says, if I let this go, the entire message of the church, starting in the, in the Corinthian church, is going to be distorted. So Paul is fighting very clearly. And here's the answer. The slave has no hold on the house. Only the sons and daughters have a freedom to rest in their father's presence. Only those who have the dependency upon the father. Because God isn't into slavery. He wants you free. To be free who you are to be. And then once you have been forgiven and restored, then you are free to give yourself out. And free to not let things dominate you. And free not to worship things. And you become really free. Lewis said, I can't direct my own heart, my own moral effort. I can't give myself new motives. That the first few steps in the Christian life, we've got to realize that everything really needs to be done in our souls can only be done by God. That's what Ayn Rand had right. It begins with the salvation of the soul. And so the last is what Joan of Arc said. God, if I'm in thy truth, keep me there. And if I'm not in that freedom, put me there. And that's what Paul was trying to do with the Corinthians. As we move into this, you're going to see that the purpose of God that's not going to be thwarted is that the Spirit of God wants to make you free as lovers to be free to worship and free from all men, from all temptation as you lose your life for his sake. That's what Paul's after. That's what the Spirit of God is after. And now it comes to us. How does that apply? Well, we simply need to yield. And we come to Christ and say, return me to the biblical freedom that I have in you. There's a number of applications for that, but I'm going to stop here. Because as it goes on in the next passage, it's not just personal, independent freedom. It's a freedom to be in a family in a community, in relationships that everyone in this community reflects heavenly 
plans in an earthly world. That's what we're called to do, Christians. That's what we're called to do. And therefore, as I close in prayer, understand it's the love of God that sets you free. And he wants you to enjoy that freedom more than you understand. So let me close. Father, thank you that your words are far more greater than I think. And Father, if we're not in your truth, put us there. And for those of us who've tasted that truth and that freedom, keep us there. But enlarge our love by decreasing our self-centeredness, increasing our worship for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.